welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 110, a gun safety reminder. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had our opening of gun season for deer in Alabama. And, you know, I told you guys that I had a pretty productive weekend in the woods. That weekend, I shot a hog and I killed three deer. I actually picked up those deer from the processor this past week. So I've got meat in the freezer and I actually still have some meat aging in the refrigerator. So times are good around my house right now. You know, as much fun as I had in the deer woods that weekend, I was pretty disturbed by a message that I got in a group text chain that a bunch of my friends and I are in. And the message came from a friend of mine Friday night saying that his dad shot himself in the hand with a muzzleloader that afternoon. Now, that's never something you want to hear. But it was really disturbing to me because his dad's been around guns and has hunted for the majority of his life. And, you know, I just was kind of bewildered as to how that could happen. Of course, I was glad to hear that he was going to be okay and that in the grand scheme of things, his injury was very minor. But still, I just couldn't wrap my head around how somebody could do something like that. Well, it wasn't long before the pictures came in. And that really drove home the fact that this really happened and just how much damage can be done in a fraction of a second. And of course, I checked on my friend's dad over the weekend and a couple of times this past week by calling my friend to check on his dad and see how things were going. And I finally had to call his dad, who's also a friend of mine, and check in on him because I wanted to see how he was doing and actually get the real story of what happened from the horse's mouth. Well, after getting him on the phone and chatting with him for a few minutes, I decided to ask him to share his story with you guys for this week's show. Now, a couple of things to note about this interview. The audio is not the best. I don't know what's wrong with the recording software that I'm using, but obviously there's some technical difficulties there when I'm recording calls on Skype then I'm hoping they'll get worked out here sometime soon. With that being said, the audio is not terrible, but if you do hear some clicking sounds, more clicking sounds than normal, I've tried to get as much of that out as I can, but there's still some in there. I'm going to apologize up front. If I hadn't said anything, you may not have even noticed. And now if you're like me, every time you hear a click, you'll go, there it is. 
and then you'll hear a click and you'll go, there it is. So <laughs> don't do that. Pay attention to the interview. I really want you guys to take something away from this interview, and I know that he does as well. So the second thing that I want to point out is this. My friend who accidentally shot himself in the hand asked to remain anonymous during the interview for two reasons. First, he hunts leased land, and he does not want the word of his accident getting out to the landowner that he leases from. Now, that is a surefire way of losing a lease. And speaking of fire, that's reason number two. As you guys in the southeast know, up until this week, thank God, we finally got some rain. But up until this week, it has been dry here. Very dry here. My friend's accident caused a small fire. And even though it was put out very soon after it was started, there's no reason for the landowner to know that that happened either when there was no permanent damage caused by the flames. But you just never know how someone's going to react to that entire situation that went down last week. So my friend asked me if he could remain anonymous, and he will continue to be that under my watch. So without further ado, here is my friend, who we are calling Experienced Hunter during this interview. Here's my friend to tell his story, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I've got a special guest on the phone with me today. He is a friend of mine, and we've been friends for quite a long time. I have known him for a very long time. I guess, experienced hunter, I should say that that I've known you for longer than we've been friends because at some point in time, I was a punk kid, and you're an adult, and so I don't think I could have been your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a little issue there. I sure loved being around your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a good one. He's a good one. But I actually have known experienced Hunter and his son, one of his sons, for many years. And so, you know, he's basically watched me grown up and he knows the majority of the trouble that I've been in over my childhood and teen years and probably involved some of some of that trouble probably involved his son as well. So we're gonna we're gonna stay away from those stories though. <laughs> That's good. Probably the ones I don't know about you, the ones that involve No comment. I think most of the stories that we could tell involved us studying for tests in school together and you know church events and that kind of stuff. I, I think that primary, oh, and volunteer work, I'm sure, as well. So, yeah, we'll stick to those. Yeah, I'm sure that's it. But Experienced Hunter has a story that he wants to to share with us today and I called to check on him earlier this week and we were chatting and got him to start telling my story and I said you know I really would appreciate it greatly if you would take the time to share the story with all the listeners on my podcast because I really feel like there's some information that we all know but we all need to be reminded of and there's a lesson there that we can all learn and this time of year, even though this story does not relate to turkey hunting, most of us turkey hunters are in the woods chasing deer, or maybe we're bird hunting, maybe we're squirrel hunting, coon hunting, whatever it happens to be. And I just feel like this is a great reminder for us all. So, experienced hunter, I appreciate you taking time to come on the show again, because we this is actually the second time that we've done this. The first time, 
the interview got screwed up or the recording of the interview got screwed up and it just was not usable. But I do appreciate you volunteering to do this again for me and share your story. And so tell us what happened to you this past Friday, please, sir. Okay, Andy, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to telling this. And, uh, and I just do sincerely hope that once these people out there listen to this, it will cause maybe a, a thought to go through their mind, wait a minute, I better rethink this issue and uh, do something a little differently and make sure that me and my family are safe, uh, whether it comes to firearms or harnessing a tree stand or sitting in a, in a turkey blind or whatever. we got to all the time that there are people out there depending on us, and sometimes we tend to lose focus on that. And I guess that's kind of what happened to me on Friday, November 11th. Uh, it was the final day of the five-day muzzleloader season. Uh, we call it a season. Actually, it's the five days we're allowed to use muzzleloaders before modern firearms. But, but I'm a pretty busy guy, and I, I've got a couple of days, and that was the last day I was going to get to go out. So I made the trip probably a couple of three miles up from where I live to a, a ladder stand on a small food plot that a muzzleloader works good on. And we had a south wind, and so I knew I had to pick a spot that was good for that. Incidentally, my muzzleloader is not one of the modern inlines that's capable at the 200 or so yards. Mine's a side lock, balling, cap and ball gun. Old school. I do have old school. I do have a device I've put on it. Instead of the uh, normal percussion cap, I've added a, uh, changed the nipple and put a thing on there where, that allows me to use a small pistol primer to make support the fire, which makes it more impervious to moisture, which always works and it never failed to work. This particular day, I uh, rode my ATV at least two miles up to where I was going and, and uh, went to the stand and climbed up the stand and had the rifle tied to a rope. And I always take a, a shirt or a jacket or some, something up in the stand with me in case it cools during the afternoon and I need a little, you know, covering before it gets dark and something to maybe ride back with. So I had this uh, shirt jack wrapped around the um, rifle and the rope, the pull-up rope, run through the sleeve of it. And uh, as I started to pull it up, Never dawning on me what I had done wrong. I had failed to remove the primer from the rifle, and I had failed to pull it up other than muzzle first. So two mistakes, primer still in the gun and pulling it up muzzle first. I lifted it off the ground. The first thing it did was uh, come in contact with one of the wooden rungs on the ladder stand, and the best of my thinking, it half cocked the hammer. And when it cleared that rung, it allowed it to fall forward and fire the um, primer, igniting the charge, and of course sending a 54 caliber round ball down the barrel, through the shirt, and up into the air. I saw the gun go off. I heard the noise. I saw the smoke. And I thought, my God, what is all this? And then I looked at my hand, and it was a bloody mess. That hand couldn't have been more than maybe four inches to the right of my head. At the time, I never thought about that. I just knew that I was hurt. And the first thing I did was grab my phone and call one of my buddies that happened to be at the camp and tell him I was hurt, seriously, and I needed him to meet me at a certain spot to take me to the hospital. And then I looked down at the ground, and that shirt that was on the on the uh, muzzle loader was smoldering. The powder and the blast from the, the explosion had uh, caught the shirt on fire. Well, as dry as it's been going on 70 days with no rain, I knew I couldn't leave the shirt laying there on the ground in all those dry leaves. So I don't know how. I don't. I don't even remember doing it. All I remember is I pull. All I know is that I pulled the rifle and the smoldering shirt on up into the 14-foot ladder stand, 
got the shirt off the rifle, threw the rifle to the ground along with, and then my fanny pack, and it somehow climbed down that stand. And the next thing I knew, my feet were on the ground. I thought, well, I'm down. So I wrapped that smoldering shirt around my hand, hoping to stop some of the blood flow. Made it to the four-wheeler, which was parked probably 150 yards away, and got on it. And knew I had over a half a mile ride to get to the gate where this fellow was going to pick me up. So I take off, and I'm driving left-handed because the right hand is the one that's injured. Driving a four-wheeler left-handed is a really tough thing to do. It's yes, tough to steer and maintain, you know, forward momentum with the throttle without speeding up, slowing down, stopping, steering, and it became an issue. Well, as I got probably a quarter of a mile down the road, I noticed the shirt was getting hot, and I looked, and because of the wind blowing across it from on, being on the ATV, it had flamed up. So I hold it away from my body. Now, here I am going down uh, a road with a flaming shirt, steering left-handed, bleeding like a stuck pig. So I hold the shirt away and get on down to a spot, and I look again, and it's really flaming, and I find a spot that looks like it's mostly dirt. And I threw the shirt down, moved, got the four-wheeler out of the way, and spent probably five minutes stomping out of fire. Because, you know, a fire gets loose in this time of year with this kind of uh, dry tinder that we have in the woods. It's over. It's going. You're right. So I, uh, so I get back on the four-wheeler after I get that fire out and start back on up the road toward the gate. And I look back over my shoulder, and there's a huge fire burning behind me. So I got back on the phone and called a couple of the other guys that were also coming to my rescue and told them, forget about me. I was going to have help. They need to get up there and put the fire out. So three of them did get up there and put out a big fire that had probably burned. I don't know, a couple of hundred feet down this road, fortunately, never got into the woods. Oh, that's amazing. And it's a very God-given fault and, and, and fortune for us. Anyway, I got to the gate and didn't get there. Of course, the gate's locked because I'm on the inside of it. I didn't come through that gate. Mm-hmm. had to cut the forward. I'll get the key out, unlock the gate, get out of there. And then probably one minute after I got up to where I was going to meet him, he showed up. And we get to the uh, local hospital. And... uh the guy that is in charge of the ambulance crews and the fire chief, and he's the fire chief down here, punched the code, got me in the ER, and I started getting treatment. Uh, they unwrapped my hand. By this time, I'd taken off a long sleeve camo shirt I had on and wrapped it around my hand. They took that off and started wrapping my hand with, you know, with gauze and whatever, and got me a shot of Demerol, and then finally got an IV started. Now, by this time, I got to tell you, I was starving to death for drinking water. I'd not had any water, and I guess all the adrenaline that parched my throat. Mm-hmm. And they finally got a cup of water, and I'm, and uh, they told me that's what damaged my throat and the reason I'm having such a hard time talking now, even a week later. Then they got me an IV. They got some um, morphine in there, and, I, you know, of course, I don't know if any of you have ever had morphine, but all of a sudden the world's running in circles. And uh, they get me on a bed and, and get me in a treatment room and, and trying to treat the hand, of course, nothing they can do much right there in that little small clinic and they say well we're going to run up take him up to dch and i hit the head guy on the ambulance crew said no we're going to uab they have a hand specialist and a great trauma center and we're going to go there so we loaded up went to uab the hand the the hand specialist surgeon met us in the room when we got there they put, put us in a room by this time my wife and a friend that had driven her up there two of my children and their spouses another nurse and another doctor in the room with all of us. And he starts looking at the hand, and he tells us, says, uh, we may be able to reattach that little finger, but uh, you'll never be able to use it. And I told him, I said, nah, 
to take it off. I just don't want something ornamental hanging around out there. <laughs> and <laughs> so I asked my wife, I said, you want to save the cedar? She said, sure. I'll tell you how to make a Christmas ornament out of it. <laughs> she, she's really big on crafts. So <laughs> anyway, we let that up and, and, and uh, he started uh, work on my hand. And I got to tell you, the injury was, was traumatic. And really, I didn't feel any pain until I was almost halfway to that gate. And then it began to hurt like nothing I'd ever experienced. I bet. But this doctor got out this what looked like a pint bottle of lidocaine and a needle. And he said, now I'm going to start putting lidocaine in this because you're going to need a lot of stitches. But I'm going to tell you, probably in your life, you've never felt anything like this. And let me tell you, folks, he wasn't kidding. And I stood all the needles until he got around to my palm. And he started sticking that needle with that lidocaine in my palm. And I'm holding on to one to my buddy's hand, and I came off the bed. My <laughs> wife said that I yelled out, and uh, I don't remember that part, but I know it hurt like nothing I'd ever experienced. Well, he got it sewed up and everything and, and uh, told me that, of course, I have an appointment coming up next Monday. That'll be the 27th, I believe, or something, 28th, uh, back at UAB with the hand specialist. And uh, they're going to look at it and see what the next treatment will, will be. I'm certain I'll have to undergo quite a bit of therapy, but, um, you know, I got to be honest with you, when his dad told me about it, told him about it, he said, well, I got to tell you, that is one tough old SOB. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a cop coming from a grandson, and uh, I saw him last night at Thanksgiving dinner, and he just was appalled and amazed that I wasn't laying up in a hospital bed. He felt like he said it. But I have, and, you know, God was good to me. I'm alive. I still have all my family. I still have all of my friends, and and, all, and, I'm, and I'm able to look up in the morning and see a sunrise and, and enjoy what God's given us. And it's, you know, 70, almost 74 years old. Um, two years ago, I suffered through two, two, uh, three months of cancer, uh, almost died, and now this. And so, you know, for some reason, he's keeping me alive. And uh, believe me, it's going to make a difference. It is an amazing story. I mean, just... Everything that you went through there is is unbelievable, and I mean, you, you don't even after the accident, all of the things that you went through to get where you could go to get treatment, and you know all those things is just unbelievable. I mean, you're wrapping your hand with a shirt that's smoldering from a muzzle blast from a muzzle loader, riding a four wheeler left handed, which means steering and running the throttle across your body, and, I mean, that's difficult enough, even without being in pain and without having, you know, without be, without bleeding everywhere. And then you sure, your shirt catches on fire and catches, the, not the woods, but the road on fire. You know, you're, you're having to stop and put one fire out, and then you get to the gate, and of course, it's locked. You have to get out and do all that. I mean, just, you know, all of that is is crazy just to add that on top of the story of the accident and you know the, the fact that that you're still here with us is great and really you know somewhat of a miracle because it, it could have been so much worse how far was the gun was the the end of the muzzle from you when the gun went off uh, let me preface that by saying, I, I, I failed to mention this. I have taught gun safety classes in schools, uh, in neighborhoods, at youth hunts. That's the first thing I tell people. I, 
you know, I email people. I tell them, you know, this is what you got to do. You cannot do this. You've got to do it this way. And then I commit two of the most unpardonable sins in hunting. But the mother, the, the ladder stand is a 14-foot wooden ladder stand. And I was standing up on the platform, and the gun was still on the ground, and it probably hit maybe the second rung down there uh, on the ground. Well, it was, I, I'm going to guess, let's say 12 feet. Wow. Man. I mean, just the fact that it hit your hand and, and no other part of your body is just amazing. And, and, you know, there again, from where it hit you, I mean, two inches more to the right, and it would have completely missed you. Yep. Or two inches the other way would have killed me. Exactly. I mean, geez, that's just unbelievable. That I happened. just want everybody to listen to this. Think. Just stop and think. Yeah. And that that's really it. I mean, you, you think about how much time it would have taken you to pull that primer out of that gun. And all of that could have been, this whole story, this whole accident would have been prevented. I mean, yep. it, it's literally two, three seconds. Of your time, you think? At the most. And what if I dropped the primer? Big deal. I had some more in my pocket, you know. Right. A, a small pistol primer is not a big, you know, it's smaller than a BB. If anybody out there has ever done any reloading, they know that. And, and you know, it's just, you know, I, I don't know why I did it. I, I, I cannot put a reason for it other than just plain not thinking. That's all it could be. I just was not thinking. Yeah. Well, and I know, too, and I bet the majority of people out they're listening to the show who use firearms on a regular basis. You know, I think that because a firearm is a tool and you use it so frequently, you get a certain comfort level with it, and we can't ever get that comfort level with a firearm. No, no, we've got to think of it as as something dangerous until we render it not dangerous, and then we got to think about it again. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. It, it's just. You know, it, it really is. It's a it's a miracle you're still with us. I'm glad that you are, and, you know, I appreciate you sharing your story with us to give us that reminder. And, you know, it's like I said, we the majority of us hunters out there hunt not just one animal. We hunt multiple animals, and so we're around guns a great deal. And even though we may be deer hunting this time of year, or even if it's out hog hunting or predator hunting, whatever it happens to be, I think this is just a good reminder for us to, that guns, the firearms, are probably our number one danger in the woods, even if you're predator hunting or hog hunting or something like that that might you know, turn around and try to bite you. It's not the animal that we have to worry about. It's the firearm that we use. And ourselves from having an empty head at times. Well, it's true. It's true. And, you know, I mean, it's. Um, I guarantee you, Anyone listening to this show at some point in time or another has had some sort of a lapse of judgment when it comes to handling a firearm or using a firearm. And fortunately for the majority of us, it has never resulted in any kind of an injury or accident. And, you know, we just happen to have gotten away with one. You know, whether that's leaving a gun loaded when you put it in your vehicle or whatever it happens to be. Andy, the other people I've related this story to, many of them have said, God, that's terrible. Let me tell you what happened to me. And I'll bet you that you're going to get calls or contacts or emails or something after people listen to this, and you're going to hear the same thing. That's Wait a minute. Wait do you hear what happened to me. And and you know what? It's more frequent than we think, but you don't hear about a lot of it, and it's such a tragedy that it could happen. And you've got to think 
you know, you got a family out there and coworkers and people that are depending on you. Don't do something wrong. Yeah, exactly right. And it, and it does, it takes that as just a fraction of a second, whether it's a lapse of judgment or a matter of forgetting to unload it or forgetting a basic firearm rule of, like experienced hunter said, you know, bringing the gun up to stand muzzle first. Right. If that, if that gun's pointed muzzle down, this is a non-issue. Yeah, and the, one of the first things you read in hunter safety courses is keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction. Yeah. <laughs> And up when you're above it is not a safe direction, is it? No, it's not. I, I, I'll send you a picture. I'm about for that. <laughs> well, I've got a couple of pictures. I've got a couple of before pictures and a couple of after pictures. And when I say after, before and after, I mean before the doctor and after the doctor. So yeah. I don't know if anyone out there has a desire to see those. I, I probably, with experienced hunters permission will post them on the website and if you guys want to see that then i can give you the web address for that page and y'all can go check those photos out but you know uh, it's fine with me maybe it'll help somebody save a life yeah you're right well experienced hunter i'm glad that that bullet was not two or four inches more to the left and i'm glad you're still here with us and you know you're you're Story hasn't scared me. I'm I'm sure when I was a kid, I may have scared you about uh, <laughs> hunting with me at some point in time. I look forward to getting the opportunity to hunt with you sometime soon. And you know, like I said, glad you're still with us, and greatly appreciate you sharing the story with us. And just thanks for your time and doing all that today. Glad to do it. I will tell you this: the only time you ever really scared me was that night I hunted with you one time. And you made me go turkey hunting, and I had to crawl through this area that looked like every stick out had eyes. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> I didn't even want to go turkey hunting. <laughs> that was, uh, I still remember that like it was yesterday. The, the <laughs> first afternoon down there, it was raining raindrops bigger than you could put your, your arms around. And, yeah. <laughs> and they were about a quarter of an inch apart and we went out and hunted in that <laughs> if one of those drops hits you on the head it knocks you out completely it, it's, it's, that's how hard it's raining and we went out and that hunted in that of course none of us slept in it because everybody snored all night <laughs> and the next morning we get up get on some birds and of course because it rained so hard that night before everything's wet so we went from being soaking wet that afternoon hunting coming in, throwing all the clothes in the dryer, getting dry, going out, and the next morning crawling around in the leaves to, trying to get in front of some in front of some birds and ended up soaking wet again. We came out of there and, and after messing <laughs> with those birds for a couple of hours, and my buddy, uh, actually experienced hunter's nephew, and I and experienced hunter were together, and we looked at experienced hunter and said, all right, well, we're going to walk down this road and you know, go around this area. We're going to check to see if there's birds over here and birds over there. And he's he says, how far is this we got to walk? And we said, oh, you know, maybe a mile and a half or two miles. He said, I'll see y'all back at the house. <laughs> we got back to the yep. camp after walking around for so long. And experienced hunter looks at us and says, all right, boys, that's been fun. I'm going home. And he loaded up in his car <laughs> and went home. <laughs> I thought, yeah, but turkey hunting I cared for. <laughs> I thought, man, we broke him of that desire to go turkey hunting real easy. 
<laughs> yep, I won't be in your way anymore. <laughs> oh, Look, thanks a lot. I appreciate what you do, buddy. I hope we do uh, some good for someone, all right? You come see us when you can. All right, I certainly will do that. I think we're going to be over your direction here in about 10 days to two weeks and definitely will stop by and see you. All right, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, so my hope and experienced Hunter's hope is that his story will cause you guys to stop and think for a few seconds while you're in the woods this weekend. And I hope that you'll be extra cautious after hearing his story. Remember, it really only takes a few seconds to unload your gun before climbing into or out of your stand, before getting onto your ATV, before getting in your vehicle. And those few seconds can be the difference between life and death or something as what really is insignificant if you think about it, as little as four instead of five fingers on a hand like experienced hunter has now. So even though this story has nothing to do with turkey hunting, it has everything to do with turkey hunting. If you guys have an accident during deer season, or while you're hog hunting, or while you are predator hunting, or bird hunting, whatever it happens to be, just stop and think for a second about gun safety, where you're pointing the muzzle on your gun, Is your gun unloaded? And can you prove it to the people that you're hunting with? Can they look at your gun and in an instant know that gun is unloaded? All right, I'm going to tell you a story real quick before I let you guys go. So there's a local gun range here in Birmingham that is called Hoover Tactical Firearms. It's a gun store. They have a gun range indoors. And they also have a cafe inside this gun store. And the food in the cafe is excellent. The indoor gun range is excellent. The gun store is excellent. I and mean, there's nothing wrong at all with this place. So I'm there enjoying lunch in the cafe one day, and the cafe just happens to be outside of the gun range. And my friends and I are sitting at our table enjoying lunch, and someone comes out of the gun range with a pistol in his hand, walks over to the table where I'm guessing it's his wife, could have been his girlfriend, and their infant child and maybe a friend or a sister, maybe his sister-in-law, I don't know, there was another woman there at the table that he walked up to, and he lays down on the table a pistol. It's not in a holster. It's not in a case. The slide is closed on the pistol, and he turns around and he walks off. Well, I looked at one of my friends sitting next to me, and I said, is the slide open on that gun? He said, where? I said, that gun that the barrel is pointing at our table is a slide closed on it. And he looks over there and he says, nope. So I immediately got up and I walked over to the table where the two ladies and the infant were. And I said, do you mind if I take this firearm that's sitting on the table and open the slide and lock it in the open position? And the lady holding the infant says to me, it's not loaded. And I looked at her and I said, how do you know? How do you know that that gun is not loaded? And you've got a child sitting right here and that gun's almost pointed at you. And she said, well, I just know that it's not loaded. And about that time, her husband walked up and she said, this guy wants to know if he could open the slide on your gun. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, your slide is closed on your gun and the barrel is pointed kind of in our direction, but also kind of in the direction of your wife and your child. And It's always a good idea when you're at a gun range to let those around you know that your firearm is unloaded. 
That's rule number two. Rule number one is never point your gun at anyone. And you've broken both of those rules. Will you please open the slide on your gun to show everyone that it is unloaded? So he drops the clip out of the gun, racks the slide, locks it open, and yes, thankfully, the gun was unloaded. But no one around there knew that for sure. So when you are not hunting and you've got your gun in your vehicle or you've got your gun in the camp, do something to prove to others at a glance in an instant that that gun is unloaded. And always treat every firearm as if it is loaded. And I know these are the basics, but sometimes we take the basics for granted and we don't follow them all and they come back and bite us. And you should believe that, especially after hearing this interview with experienced Hunter. Okay, so I hope this wasn't too preachy for you guys. I really didn't want it to be that way. It is something that I feel very strongly about. And I want experienced Hunter's story to be a good reminder for all of us to take that extra time, be extra cautious, check your gun two or three times to make sure it's unloaded. Because it's the unloaded ones that kill people. So that's all that I have for you guys this week. But before I let you get back to eating all that leftover turkey, I have two very quick favors to ask of you. First, please forward this episode to your hunting buddies and ask them to forward the episode to their hunting buddies as well. You know, experienced hunter took the time to share his story with us. And truth be told, he ate a little bit of crow to share that story with us. And we need to spread the word about his story in the hopes that it will cause someone to stop for a few seconds and take time to unload his or her gun before climbing into a tree stand or getting in a vehicle or an ATV or even walking inside the door of the camp. The second favor that I ask of you is to be sure to tune into next week's show. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics. Well, of course, you guys know that that topic is wild turkeys, but in particular, I'm going to be talking Osceola wild turkeys with Roger Shields of the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. And if you've got Osceolas on your to-do list, you've got Osceolas on your bucket list, and or you want to finish a Grand Slam, or even start a Grand Slam, you've got to have the Osceola, and this is an interview you are not going to want to miss. So be sure to tune in next week for that interview. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.